You're listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The 2023 New York Encounter just wrapped up, and we'd like to thank the over 400 volunteers who came to New York to help make it possible. We also want to thank everyone who made a financial contribution to the New York Encounter this year. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You can always head to newyorkencounter.org donate and contribute today. Father Richard Veris, a priest of the Archdiocese of New York, and I'm here to, to welcome the Sisters of Life with us. We have with us Sister Maria Day, who is a postulant director for the Sisters of Life. We have some of the postulants as well, um, so to prove that that is what she does. Sister Anu Day graduated from the Catholic University of America with uh, her RN. Prior to joining the Sisters of Life, she, was, she worked as an intensive care nurse. Sister Virginia Joy is a director of the Respect Life Office of the Archdiocese of New York. She has served women experiencing crisis pregnancies at the Sisters Visitation Mission in Manhattan. And prior to joining the Sisters of Life, Sister Virginia Doy was a guidance counselor and coach in Catholic education serving troubled teens. And I just want to begin by saying that this event has, for me, personal significance, and for us it has historical significance. And I want to explain, I was a seminarian when Cardinal O'Connor was beginning uh, retreats for young women who were thinking of entering this this community that didn't exist yet, and we would we used to serve food. So I served I served you know I picked up dishes for these these women. So I was there, so I was there uh, as a seminarian at the beginning of of Cardinal O'Connor's um, these retreats. For anyone involved in communion and in liberation in New York, we can also consider the Sisters of Life. We consider ourselves spiritual brothers and sisters of the Sisters of Life because. At the same time, the charism of the Sisters of Life was being formed in Cardinal O'Connor's heart. In those years, Cardinal O'Connor had gone to the meeting in Rimini, uh, a cultural event in Italy that's, that's, in a certain sense, the forerunner of what we do here at the New York Encounter. And when he was there, he said, I want this in New York. And they contacted members of CL in New York. Very few of them uh, were here. One of them is sitting in the front row, uh, Luigi Tanzi. And and CL was welcome to start meeting at St. Patrick's Cathedral, where I met it as a layman, where, where many of us met it. And, um, and so his desire to have CL in New York and his desire to have a, a, a cultural presence in New York is fulfilled with CL. CL is here, the New York Encounter is here, and the Sisters of Life, with their witness of, of faith and hope and healing, are thriving. And so, so your eminence, dear Cardinal O'Connor, dear Father, thank you, thank you for the heart that wanted so much for your people. I made sure to wear my insignia of the Archdiocese of New York in, in Cardinal O'Connor's honor. So I just wanna uh, begin this just presentation by quoting, um, and Cardinal O'Connor ordained me, I wanna make sure I get that in too, so he's, he's my father, he's my father. And so I wanna, I have the great honor of repeating some of the words Cardinal O'Connor said at one of his early retreats for the new community of the Sisters of Life to describe what his hope for is and what their charism is. Cardinal O'Connor said, it is love that prompts, it is love that impels, that drives the Sisters of Life. The love of Christ, the love of the unborn baby, the love of the outcast, the love of every human being made in the image and likeness of God. This is the reason for the existence of the Sisters of Life, not simply because they believe in the sanctity of human life. Many people believe that, thank God. It is not simply that they believe, 
that one day they hope that the culture of death will be replaced by the culture of life, many people so hope. But to be a sister of life, we must fall in love. We must fall in love with life. But life is Christ, and Christ is love. Christ is love. This is the simplest and most profound definition of Christ. I think it is extremely important to remember that all killing is rooted in fear. And so we have become a killing society because of fear. And what is the answer to fear? We find the answer in the first letter of John. He says, love has no room for fear. Rather, perfect love casts out all fear. All of us are committed to the effort to bring about improved legislation, legislation favorable to the cause of human life in this country. That's of inestimable importance. But legislation is not going to stop the killing. Legislation takes a long time to work its effect. What we must get at immediately is the fear that turns us into a killing society. St. John gives us the answer to fear. He tells us that the one thing that drives out fear is love. And so Sister Anuste and Sister Virginia Joy are going to witness to us what that has looked like and what it looks like in the life of the Sisters of Life. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. So we're so grateful to you, Father, and for the invitation from New York Encounter to be with all of you. Um, Sister and I, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the founding graces that the Cardinal received uh, in beginning the Sisters of Life, the, receiving really the charism, and then talk a little bit about our, our missions. So we hope it'll be a bit of a conversation between us. I, I think her transitions will be gracious and smooth, and mine will probably be more blunt and abrupt. So um, thank you. I, I didn't sit in the middle because I wanted to be able to punch each other. Don't forget this. Yes. So uh, Cardinal O'Connor, um, there, there were several events, uh, two mainly, that really led him to the founding of the Sisters of Life and really receiving the gift of the charism. Charism being um, a gift of the Holy Spirit given for two reasons, to build up the church and to meet a particular need of our time. And he would often reflect particularly on this one single, single experience that he had when he visited uh, the Nazi concentration camp in Dachau, Germany. Uh, and it was, as you can imagine, a sobering uh, visit, walking the grounds and praying. And at one point, he went into the barracks where the crematorium semicircular ovens were, where the bodies had been burned. And he said he placed his hands inside that crematorium oven, and he felt the intermingled ashes of Jew and Christian, of rabbi, priest, and minister. And he really described it as almost a mystical experience. And he said in that moment, he was really pierced to the heart. And he said he made a cry to the Lord, good God, how could human beings do this to one another? And in that moment, Cardinal O'Connor made really a, a personal vow, a commitment, a promise to Almighty God that he would do anything and everything um, to protect the sacredness of human life to his dying breath. He would do this for the rest of his life. And he actually said, this is a quote from him, he said, my life was changed radically, not modestly, not fractionally, but radically, when I put my hand into the oven at Dachau. 
I knew that with all my studies and all my degrees, up until that moment, I knew no real theology. I learned it at Dachau. The men and women who died at Dachau shaped my adult life. Uh, to him, it, it wasn't that 11 million people died in the Holocaust, but that one person of infinite worth uh, died a million, 11 million times, and that Christ experienced each death as his own. Um, you know, for the Cardinal, it was always about the individual person, um, the dazzling value, the infinite worth of a single soul made in Almighty God's image and likeness. And as Sisters of Life, you know, we, we marvel very much at the idea that uh, in, in a place of darkness and death, uh, the Lord would inspire the Cardinal in such a profound way, a radical way. And, and yet this is how Christ works. Uh, he always goes um, to the deepest place of weakness, sin, darkness, and death to rise and bring life, eternal life to souls. So this, this changed his life radically. He came back to the U.S. and really became the voice of uh, the pro-life movement in the church here in the U.S. And for years, and he was, uh, again, really moved by the good work being done by many people in, in sort of all areas, serving pregnant women, um, le legislatively, all sorts of things. But he knew something was missing, he would often say. And he took this to prayer. And he really, he really was a man of prayer. And he was praying with the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, where Jesus is coming down from the mountain, and he finds the disciples, they can't cast out that one demon. And so he casts the demon out, and they say, Lord, why couldn't we? And uh, Jesus says, because that particular demon, that kind of demon can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And in that moment, the Cardinal would say he received really his second foundational grace for the community, only he knew it wasn't a personal one. It was a grace for the whole church. He recognized in that moment of prayer, contempt for human life could only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And he knew that there had to be a spiritual response to what was a spiritual reality. And he, he would say he knew God was asking him, to found a religious community of women who would lay down their lives so that others might live. And uh, he prayed with this. He would say it was the last thing he wanted to do. He's 70 years old, start a community of women. He'd been in the military for almost 30 years. Uh, but with holy surrender to this, this inspiration, he had a weekly column in the Catholic New York paper. And he, and it was around 1989, one of his weekly columns he titled, Help Wanted. Sisters of Life, and, and he sort of cast his vision in this article, and it got, it got picked up by Catholic papers around the country, and women started to respond, and he began to host retreats, and, and, um, and, and sort of, again, explaining what this charism might look like until June 1st, 1991, when eight women who'd never lived religious life uh, entered this, this new foundation. So from there, I pass it off to Sister. What happened next? <laughs> Thank you, Sister. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The New York Encounter is a three-day cultural event that takes place every President's Day weekend in Manhattan. Every year, we bring together speakers, put on exhibits, and host musical shows, offering opportunities for education, dialogue, and friendship. 
Following St. Paul's suggestion to test everything and retain what is good, the encounter aims to discover, affirm, and offer to everyone truly human expressions of the desire for truth, beauty, and justice. To learn more about the New York Encounter, visit newyorkencounter.org. Um, so yes, the Sisters of Life were born in 1991. So we are, we're very young in the life of the church, not quite 30 years old, uh, but it's been amazing to watch the Holy Spirit grow this community. And I myself, I entered this community 12 years ago, and each day I'm more and more aware that I am living inside of a miracle of God, truly, truly. And it is, Sister mentioned this, it's crazy to think, uh, Cardinal O'Connor founded us at 70 years old. So this is an age you start settling in, not starting something new. Um, but this man had room in his heart for God's dreams, right? Dreams to bring love to women facing unexpected pregnancies, to men and women, a whole culture, in fact, suffering the effects of abortion, you know, to the hearts of this time, wounded by a culture of death. Dreams to build a new culture of life and renew a sense of the sacredness of every human person. And Colonel O'Connor would have told you himself, um, he had no idea how this was gonna happen. Um, but it actually didn't really bother him. He was a man of unshakable faith, and he trusted in the Lord. And he knew if God wanted this, he was gonna make it happen. And um, at one of these retreats that Father Barry served food and the Sister Virginia Joy uh, referenced, this is, how, this is what he said to those coming to discern. Um, imagine yourself here. He said, I'm inviting you to consider entering a non-existent religious community. <laughs> he, said, he simply said, if it's of the Holy Spirit, it will work. And if it's not, it won't. Period. That was that. Um, and honestly, that is how it continues to be to this day. Uh, the Spirit leads, and we're just trying to keep up with Him. And I think all the sisters um, are, trying, are saying to the Lord, slow down. <laughs> um, someone asked me once if I got bored in the convent, and I, I told them, you know, I think I would have to pray for boredom. Um, <laughs> and I still haven't received that grace, if it is one. Um, but we have, we've gone from eight members, 216, um, one convent to 12, all throughout the United States and Canada, and wondering uh, what serving vulnerable human life would look like to seeing the Holy Spirit bring to life a whole mosaic of missions that bring God's love into the lives of others. And it's astounding. Uh, we're just, we're bearing witness along with the rest of the world and all of heaven. And I have to tell you, as we serve on the front lines of what might be seen by the world as the polemical issues of today, you know, places of divide that can't be overcome, we find, you know, as we look at life through the lens of love, from the heart of the Trinity, we see nothing but possibilities. Um, wherever we might be standing in mission, no matter how messy it is, and I have to tell you, when it comes to serving life, it gets messy. Just get a pulse on your own life for a few seconds. Um, we simply ask ourselves, what does love look like here? And in this, we find a grace-filled way forward. We see miracles happen every day. And we've learned you just need to root yourself deep in Eucharistic prayer, go out with Our Lady, and give God permission. And um, so you might be wondering, what does that actually look like in real time? Well, Sister Virginia Joy would love to tell you about our visitation mission. Thank you. Thank you, Sister. This feels more like a newscast. Okay. So, um, the Cardinal, a really 
really, um, again, so scriptural and, and very Marian in his devotion, Eucharistic and Marian. And he would, we sort of named our, our, our mission in service to pregnant women. We serve about 600 women a year here in New York who are pregnant and in need and the, the need varies from maybe somebody who conceived through IVF and is now facing an adverse prenatal diagnosis to um, a woman who is uh, living in a one-bedroom apartment with nine others and pregnant and in desperate need. And we've named this our visitation mission after Our Lady's visitation. You're all familiar with the story, uh, really, that, that Mary, once she receives Christ, her first response is to forget herself, to forget her own needs, her own situation, and she goes in haste to, to be with her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant. And so we, as consecrated religious, uh, desire to receive Christ daily in the Eucharist, in prayer, and in adoration. And, and we go in haste, so to speak, to, to meet these pregnant women, to help them. Ultimately, like Mary, what we want to bring is Christ. Because we know that uh, bringing him into any situation is, what, uh, is when the, the transformation begins. Because everything he touches um, is changed, you know? So it's, it's always a powerful, so we've named it the Visitation Mission. And we find, as we serve women, as we've served them now for, for, for decades, uh, that fear, as, as uh, Father Veris mentioned in that quote, fear is the driving force behind uh, abortion, particularly the fear of being alone, the fear that I can't afford this child, that uh, this child, I can't meet this child's needs, that my schooling or my career will suffer, that my parents or those I love the most uh, don't have room in their lives for this child, uh, the fear that I can't have my dreams and this child, you name it, the fears go on and on. And all of us, I would say, have experienced, when, when we make a decision in fear, we're not free. Uh, fear cripples us, it feeds us lies, uh, and, and again, in that quote, uh, Christ says, perfect love, only perfect love will cast out all fear. Love is the answer to all fear. And so, kind of, what do we do when a woman comes to us, uh, when she maybe turns around from an abortion clinic and ends up at our front door? How do we serve her? How do we, how do we talk to her? How do we receive her? And in many ways, I mean, it's, it's kind of simple. Uh, you know, we love her. We love her as her sister. Um, not because we are so good, but because she is so good. She is so good and, and worthy of our love and our accompaniment. And we delight in her. Um, we listen, we say we listen her back into life. Often, she, I've sat before a woman for three hours straight, and I'm a talker, and I didn't say a word. I just, <laughs> just tried to take it all in, you know? And then afterwards, she was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> okay, you know? Um, but, but that's how it is. We, we, we'll say we listen them back into life. Our desire is to look at them with the eyes of love, to try to reflect back, uh, act as a mirror, um, to reflect the goodness, the beauty um, that we see in them so that they might have a glimpse of their own worth, their own value. Because we know um, if she can't reverence her own self, if she doesn't know her own dignity, her own goodness, it's going to be incredibly difficult, maybe impossible, for her to recognize and reverence the life hidden in her womb. Um, so again, upholding her in that way. And we see that when, she, when her heart is opened, and it, it takes time, um, but it's, it, it's amazing to see it sort of revealed, and then the courage and the strength 
that's really unleashed when she comes to know herself um, as good, um, loved, lovable. And um, as Sister said, we have, we have countless stories, um, really endless, uh, often just the story of how they found us or how they came to us whether it was finding one of our brochures in the Planned Parenthood, which, you know, we don't get referrals um, from them, so that's un un unusual, but it's happened. Um, and then the idea of, of walking with them is never dull. Just kind of preparing for today, thinking about the privileged situation I've been able to be in with some of these women and that we all have, um, moving them in and out of, of, of projects in all of the various boroughs here in New York. I got into it for a long time, moving women out of New York. You know, like I took a, a woman from the Bronx who wanted to go to a school where she could have her kids, so three kids, moved her to Nebraska. I know it's a little different from the Bronx to Nebraska, but we made the transition. Um, and and so, so all kinds of things, you know, going to every, um, you know, whether it's a doctor's appointment, whether it's the 18-hour labor, uh, the 24-hour labor with them when they're ready to give birth, whether it's court, housing court, civil court, city court, even criminal court, I've been to them all, and, um, and, and getting to hold their hand all the way. Um, again, I, I can't believe that God's entrusted me um, to love these women at this moment in their life. It's such, such a gift. Even last week, I can tell you, we had a woman who had started the two-day abortion, chemical abortion procedure, and after the first pill, um, wanted to know, was there anything she could do? And there's actually medical protocol for abortion pill reversal. You can look it up, abortionpillreversal.com. Found a doctor late at night who could see her, prescribe the, the reversal, got her to CVS, everything. Um, Un unbelievable, really. And ultimately, what we see, again, is, is God's lavish, abundant, personal uh, love for each woman, right when she needs it the most. I'm gonna share one story um, so that you kind of maybe see one story uh, in its entirety, even though it's not done, it's continuing. Um, but I share this story with permission of this, of this mom, of this woman, and I'll, I'll call her Sarah. Um, so we met Sarah about a year ago, and uh, to back up, January 22nd last year, 2019, here in New York, um, if you're unaware, the governor signed into law uh, the Reproductive Health Act, which allowed abortion for any reason, under any circumstances, all nine months, and, and many other devastating aspects to that particular bill. So on that day, it's also the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, um, Sarah was, was, was going to get an abortion. And as she approached Planned Parenthood, the, the, the clinic, the people and the escorts and the workers were loading the buses to go, to go celebrate this law up in Albany. And she saw a woman silently praying on the sidewalk and she approached her sort of timidly. And this woman you know, spoke to her briefly, gave her one of our brochures, um, and then Sarah went into the clinic. And when she was in there, she began reading the brochure, um, which is, again, designed really to address the fears and, and, and instill hope. And that's what began to happen. She began to feel hope. And she hadn't felt that since she'd found out the news of this child. And she, she went out back in to meet with the Planned Parenthood staff 
heard about what was going to happen in the procedure there and decided she couldn't do it, not this day. And so she left. And she spoke to the, um, the women praying outside again, and they said, well, you know, we can take you to, to these sisters, these, these sisters where this brochure is. So she said, okay, please do. So they brought her to us. She spent the entire day with us um, in meetings. Even at night, because it was January 22nd, we were holding a prayer vigil at the cathedral. And she came with us to the cathedral. Unbeknownst to us, she, told, she had prayed the night before she said, I hadn't prayed to Our Lady in a long time, but she said something like, Mary, um, I know I don't talk to you often, but you've got to help me. She made that prayer. And now we're at the prayer vigil, and actually Father Varys was the one giving the homily. Um, and he said, tonight, well, we have to stay close to Mary. And in that moment, she knew her prayer was being answered, and she could, in her heart, um, choose life. She knew it was going to be okay. So she actually ended up moving in with us. We have one mission, we call it a holy respite, where we invite women to live with us. So fast forward, um, she moves in with us. It's an absolute joy and delight. So is her, her, her little girl. And um, she is the most natural mother. She makes it look far too easy. <laughs> and um, this year, January 22nd, a year, the anniversary of when she left the clinic, she said, I want to go back. I want to pray. I want to give thanks to God. So the sisters went, some of the sisters went with her. She prayed outside of the same clinic with her, with her child and was so moved as she saw women walking in that she began to talk to them. And two women chose life because of her witness just that day. Um, again, so tremendous. What, what again, a yes um, to life, a yes to love, and ultimately a yes to, to God uh, has, has been at work in her life. So um, that's one, again, just one like glimpse of, of a story that we're sort of at the front seat to see. I know Sister has a million others. <laughs> you are listening to the New York Encounter podcast. The Encounter is entirely volunteer-run and donation-funded. And as you probably realize, it takes a lot of money every year to put it on. What that means is that if you want The Encounter to continue its work, we need your help. Head on over to newyorkencounter.org donate and consider making a monthly donation to sustain The Encounter in its work. Thank you for your support. A beautiful introduction and stories of grace. Um, in a sense, these are the stories that God loves to write. You know, when we give him permission, and just perhaps a, sh a brief echo, uh, a way that I witnessed his grace firsthand. Um, I was praying outside of an abortion clinic. Again, just prayerful presence um, right here in the city. And, you know, I was really getting into my Hail Marys and enjoying just, just yeah, bringing Christ's presence through prayer uh, to that place. And someone came up to me and they said, hey, can you come talk to someone? I'm like, sure, yeah, no problem. I thought, you know, maybe they need prayer or like they just had a question about the habit, you know, standard fare. Um, and uh, so I did. Before I knew it though, um, followed this woman, crossed the street, crossed the police barricades, ended up right in front of the, of, of the open door to the clinic. And um, the escorts were very 
unhappy to see me there. Um, <laughs> there was a woman standing right in front of the open door. The escorts were inviting her to come in. She was crying and in great distress, and people were yelling. It was super chaotic. I was a novice at the time, so I had no idea what was going on anyway, um, and uh, early in my own formation. And I was like, shoot, oh, gosh, what do we do now? <laughs> um, and so I did, I said a prayer to the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, and the good news is, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come, he comes. And so I simply looked at this woman, looked her in the eye, and I said, gosh, you know, it looks like you're having a really rough morning. <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, that's all it took. She looked right at me, she nodded, clearly um, just so grateful to have her distress be acknowledged. And um, I introduced myself, offered her a tissue. She started crying all the more. And I just asked her, you know, what brought you to the clinic this morning? And she shared about the pressure she felt from the father of the baby to get an abortion, um, the fears she had about walking through this pregnancy alone, um, and that she really felt that abortion was her only choice. And so I simply reflected back to her. I'm like, you know, uh, it sounds like uh, you're feeling very conflicted about this decision. And she nodded. And um, so I just said, gosh, you know, maybe we can go grab a cup of coffee, explore your options. And I shared a little bit about what the sisters did. And she looked at me and she said, you know, sister, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. Um, but you see, I'm Muslim. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said, you know what, that's okay. I'm Catholic. <laughs> and she smiled and we walked right past that open door uh, to the clinic. We had a long cup of coffee. She talked, I listened, and long story short, seven months later, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy and she still calls us uh, to tell us about the joys of motherhood and um, her life as it continues along the way. That, that little boy is about 10 years old now. Um, so it's a great privilege. Um, God's family, um, it continues to go through grace and that this is what God loves to do. In a sense, uh, Christian charity has no borders. Um, it loves to create bridges. It loves to find new ways. And we have a God who loves to be in the mess of our lives and he wants to be there in the heart of it all. And then go to work doing what he does best, which is transform and redeem and make new. And this is where I'll make a smooth segue as Sister has encouraged me to do, um, to our Hope and Healing mission. Because um, we also see him doing uh, this in, our, in that mission, which is a mission of accompaniment, retreats, days of prayer, to bring hope and healing to those suffering after abortion. And I have to say that after walking with so many in this journey of healing, we've come to understand that abortion is far more than a debate or a political issue. You know, but after almost 50 years of legalized abortion, we know it's a life-changing experience that affects a woman deeply. You know, one that inflicts sorrow and suffering and pain. And that we've learned, in a sense, regardless of circumstance, abortion never really serves a woman. That it really lets her down at every level. That in the heart of a woman's heart is the desire to give life. And that in truth, maternity is forever. That once a child is conceived, bonds are formed. You know, a reality comes into place that's eternal. If that life is lost, it needs to be acknowledged and grieved. And so it's a great privilege for us uh, to walk with others in this journey of healing after abortion. And indeed, this quote from Cardinal O'Connor, I fall in love all over again when I see what he does 
um, in these women's, women's lives. Um, it's incredible how he brings new life to this place. And I think it's good to have before us, you know, that one in every four women by the age of 45 today have had an abortion. And that statistic is closer to one in three here in New York. Um, and this is what Cardinal O'Connor told us uh, in light of all of this. He said, we are not adversaries of the women tempted to have abortions. We're not adversaries of the women who have had abortions. They're part of the body of Christ. Let Christ reach out through you. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you and heal. Let the ministry of reconciliation go to work. The Christ who said, pick up the pieces, lest they be lost. He said, there's much shouting and screaming. There's much anger. There's much bitterness and hostility. And we must be the counterculture. We must be the presence of Christ. And it's interesting, we didn't have to wait long to step into this. Um, early after our foundation, a group of women came to us and they said, you know what? If you know the sacred dignity of human life, then you will be able to understand the depth of the pain that we suffer, um, of what we've lost. Um, and all of these women were suffering after abortion and they asked us, please walk with us. Um, and this continued to happen, you know, whether it was the mother, the father, the grandparent, the sibling of the aborted child, they came to us, each with their own story, and each of them trying to find hope and healing and reconciliation. You know, there's even times that this journey can begin in our visitation mission. Um, and we thank God uh, that most of the women that we walk with choose life, but not all are free to respond to that grace being offered. And I remember such an occasion with a woman that I walked with. Um, she came to us facing an unexpected pregnancy. Um, we made plans, we spoke every day for weeks. You know, it was gonna be a new beginning for her and for her child. We built supports. Um, and then one day, uh, I called and she didn't pick up. And then the next day, and I feared the worst. And sure enough, two weeks later, I got a call. And it was this woman. And she said, sister, I'm sorry. I did it. I had the abortion. And she said, Sister, you were right. It let me down. I've never felt so empty and sad. And she went on to tell me that a week after her abortion, she went to a church and she begged to be baptized because so deep was the desire in her heart to start new, you know, to find God's mercy. And I do, I remember sitting there, she shared all this with me and my heart was in a thousand places as I received all of it. And in my heart, I turned to the Lord and I asked him, you know, what does love look like now? You know, what does your love want to do here? And I have to tell you, it was if he could not wait to answer. It was just instantly my heart was flooded with his love for her. It was, a, it was an incredible love, one merciful, unsparing. It was like a torrent. Um, and I came to know intimately in this moment the reality that God never stops loving us, ever. It was precisely in this moment, and in, in everyone's moments, you know, when we feel most ashamed, in the tangles of our sin, in the ashes of our life and choices, that He seeks us. He extends His heart of mercy to us, and He looks for another way to pave um, a, a way home to the heart of the Father. And so that day, uh, after a lot of tears and prayer, we began a new journey, uh, a journey of healing and which she engaged, um, and it was incredible to bear witness uh, to how the Lord drew her to himself through this, um, this event in her life. And I don't know, Sister, if you see 
Uh, I don't know if you have thoughts on this, or what do you see in this mission, or have you seen? Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I think, um, I think our poverty, like before the women, in any situation, is, is what we feel and experience. You know, there's nothing I can really humanly offer, very little. Um, and so again, we're, we're kind of beggars before the Lord in that. And, and talking about our hope and healing mission, I've had priests who, who work with us in our various missions say, that, that is your most powerful mission, this hope and healing. And, and, and strikingly so because Jesus is, is so powerful. And he um, really brings life where there has been death. And even on like a, just a very light note, one, one priest was sharing with me that he was at one of our days of prayer and healing for women who've suffered from abortion. And he'd been hearing confession for hours and was taking a brief sort of break by the window, looking out at, um, at our retreat house. We have a huge front yard and he's sipping his coffee and, and nearly chokes himself because he sees a woman, probably in her late 50s, doing cartwheels across the lawn. <laughs> and uh, the sisters found out from her later, she, she, had, she had not been to confession since she'd had the abortion almost 30 years before. And she had never felt so light, so free, that, that cartwheels were the only logical response. <laughs> I mean, it was just so, yeah, so unbelievable. And, and that then these women, the women that we serve both in visitation and hope and healing and our various missions, they really become uh, family uh, to us. Um, and I think that, I'd love you to share the story, like, again, yeah. who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah please, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah just, just a brief story, right? How we join in God's conspiracy of love uh, for a soul. Um, a, a beautiful woman, um, again, I share with permission, I'll call her Rose, and just real quickly, because I know we're running out of time. Um, she came to us about 15 years after her abortion, and uh, basically her story was, when she found out she was pregnant, she told her husband, and her husband told her, you know, they had two kids, um, that she had to get an abortion or he would divorce her. You know, he had had enough. Um, so she didn't want to break up the family and finally gave in um, and had the abortion. Uh, but was burdened deeply by this. And uh, she sought counseling, but her counselor wouldn't validate this, um, the abortion as a source of, of what she was suffering. She started abusing substances, and eventually she gave up hope of healing, and she started making a plan to take her own life. And she didn't want to leave um, kind of anything to do for her family, so she started going through her stuff. And by God's grace, um, at the bottom of one of the last boxes she was going through, was a little um, uh, bulletin, church bulletin about the Sisters of Life and our Hope and Healing mission. And she read it, and praise God, she called us. Um, and she came on a day of prayer and healing, and she said on that day of prayer and healing, she literally felt her heart start to beat again. You know, she just encountered God's mercy so powerfully. And then pulled up alongside of us and started serving uh, with us in this mission and brought this message of mercy uh, to so many other women. And so she was with us, I think, uh, you know, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And we even had the privilege of, of being with her when she passed away. And again, um, we work under a principle of non-abandonment. So if, if a woman wants to continue to walk with us, we're with her, we're, we're for her, and again, form this, this huge family that is God's, uh, and that is um, created through bonds of love and, and grace. 
So it is. Um, I love the, the topic of this breakout, unafraid of the divide, because um, I think what we've learned is armed with Christ's love. Uh, you don't really see a divide. You just see the beauty of the human person before you and God's desire to, to bring that life to fullness uh, wherever it might be. And that's where he wants to meet that heart and that soul. So just, uh, I don't know what time we have. If we, we're out. Father Barris. Four minutes. We got four minutes. I don't know, sister. <laughs> 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 Father Barris, go ahead. <laughs> you've, been, you've been listening. No, no, I'm, happy to, I'm, very, I'm happy to listen. I'm happy to listen. I'm very happy to listen. Um, no, I'm, again, I'm very moved by. Um, but I, I just want to, in a certain sense, leave this as an open thing. One of the sisters do that I very much appreciated when I was a pastor of a parish. Um, if a woman comes to their hope and healing mission, from a particular parish, they will call that parish. And I mean, they, it's anonymous, but they just say, look, thank you for putting this notice in your bulletin about hope and healing, because a woman found hope and healing because she saw that announcement. And I just wanna to let you know as a participation in, in this mission, the sisters on your website, there is the, the phone number that a woman can call mm -hmm. if she's suffering, she's had an abortion. There, it's on the internet and they get calls from all over the country. Because um, the, the one in four statistic, the one in three, there are women who are suffering this and have been suffering this alone, maybe not even telling their husbands because of, because of an abortion, suffering alone and bearing this burden. And for those women to know, a phone call away, they can pick up a phone and have somebody that will accompany them. Someone, and someone will also even, there's no place in our culture for so many women to go that'll actually validate their grief, because, because in a culture of death, we have to pretend that abortion is nothing, but it is something. And so I, I think the best thing to leave you this is, they have some brochures. Sister said they, they had about 50, so, and happily they can't possibly give you all a brochure. But, but there is a website. And, and again, any place in the country, uh, a woman can call and, and, and have someone who will welcome her and, and bring her to the embrace of Christ. And as you so beautifully said in that last story, he goes right to the depths and he never stops loving us. And one of the terrible lies that these women tell themselves is they're not worthy, they can't be loved. And they bear this burden for an unimaginable amount of years. And so for you just to know that and be aware of that, to, to be ready uh, and to offer that grace, in a certain sense, the, the, that bulletin blurb doesn't have to just be in parishes in New York, a pastor anywhere can put the blurb and the phone number in his bulletin and, and, and give these women a, a way of hope. And so, oh, Sister Anya Stace, Sister Virginia Joy, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for listening to the New York Encounter podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please consider posting a review on whatever platform you listen on. Those reviews really help the podcast reach more listeners. If you share the podcast on social media, please tag the New York Encounter. On Twitter, we're at NY Encounter.